Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Pedham here. As always, and of course, today I'm joined by Sebastian Bacon and Simon O'Regan as well. We're here to reflect on Brighton nil, Aston Villa to a win again for Villa. Finally, we can say so we can have a little bit of uh, celebrations today, be very uh, cheery and merry. And you know what? Maybe there'll be a little bit of negativity thrown in and kind of questioning if this win was really a true win or if Brighton were just crap. But anyways, we'll get into all of that today. But let's go to the guys first. Seb, how's it going for you? Yeah, it's always much better to be coming on and talking about Villa when when we've put in a good performance and when we've come away with the three points. Um, I think it makes our life a lot easier. It feels like, you know, I've aged about 10 years since Villa last one. I'm surprised my hair hasn't fallen out. But um, yeah, no, it's good. We, we played well and it's always satisfying that when things aren't going right, you see you see those things change and change for in a positive manner. So yeah, it's good. I'm happy. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it was the, I can't remember which podcast you were on, but it was after a loss. It wasn't the um, Wat, or the Watford uh, loss. I think it was before that. But I think the Villa grew um, so much anger and frustration within Seb that he grew a little mustache for the first time that I've ever seen. So Villa can do mad things to people. But of course, we'll go to the um, hairless man himself. That is Simon O'Regan. Simon, how's it going for you? <laughs> Oh, what an introduction. <laughs> um, yeah, very good, thank you. Um, obviously, the three of us were on recording this time last week and it was uh, it was quite depressing <laughs> when, we, when we first got on and started chatting. So, it's uh, yeah, it's nice to come on and, and see three smiling faces on the screen. So, yeah, happy days. Yeah, and of course, I, I'm referring to his to his head, ladies and gentlemen. Let's keep this PG, just in case you had some dirty thoughts out there. I just wanted to throw that out there. I had a better pun laid out, but then I forgot it within 10 seconds after peer pressure. But it is very nice to see three smiling faces on this screen. And uh, yeah, we're going to kind of soak it in for as long as we can, to be honest, because we know how Villa can be. We know how frustrating it can be. And the closer we get to the end of the season, I feel like the more safety and kind of mid table obscurity is kind of settling in. We get a little bit more comfortable and think, you know what other teams might pick up results. And we think Villa should actually put a shift in, but like I said, we'll, we'll soak this one in for what it's worth. And Seb, I'll throw it at you first, of course. And it's important to kind of emphasize, I think to start this podcast with as frustrating as it is when we lose against teams that we think, we should beat. Of course, we thought this run was going to be one where we could actually win consecutively for a few games and definitely hasn't been with obvious evidence losing to Newcastle and Watford amongst other frustrating results this season. But do you think it's important to kind of appreciate the wins like this one in times like this? I mean, like I've said before, we kind of go through hits and misses and as much as we're negative, it's also important to kind of give your respect and your dues when the the lads put in a good performance, isn't it? Every football team goes through stages in a season where they'll go on a losing run or they'll go on a winning run. And and that's football, isn't it? You know, I've always tried to not get too low with the lows and not get too high with the highs. But, you know, it's almost impossible as a football fan. After one loss, you're convinced that your team is the worst team in the country. And, you know, after a win, it's difficult not to think that you're going to win the Champions League next season. So, um yeah, it is It is about keeping yourself grounded, but also recognising that yesterday was a very difficult game. And although Brighton are on a difficult run themselves, they are, you know, by no means a bad team. And 
a team who have taken the league by storm this year and are actually overachieving at this point in time. So we made it look comfortable. We were never really in doubt. I think it was probably one of our most straightforward wins of the season, which is something you can't usually say about Villa because, you know, we like to do things the hard way. But um, yeah, after a win, it's always nice. It's always satisfying. But, you know, as long as we don't get too high now, we've got Southampton next weekend who are probably one of the most informed teams in the country coming up. So, you know, all all attention will be focused to that. And hopefully we can build on this this momentum that we've got now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one key thing that we saw yesterday, and actually before I, I say that, I like the highs and the lows thing because I'm pretty sure I've heard Dean Smith say that in press conferences like a million times. So very Dean Smith of you, Seb. So great to have that man mentioned again and hope he's doing well. But Simon, I'll throw this one over to you. I think the the best way for me to summarize yesterday was I think a lot of fans and maybe it was probably every Villa fan thought there was maybe a lack of cohesiveness, a little bit of lack of effort. A lot of people I saw on social media kind of saying it just seems like some of these players don't want to be there anymore. Do you think a performance like yesterday when you saw certain players working for one another, uh, the way they celebrated that kind of relief, can you kind of fairly say there's still a little bit of fight in the side? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't go along with the narrative that there were players who didn't want to be there in the first place. I, I know you can look at the Newcastle game and be quite rightly disappointed with that, but you have every team will have a, a game like that. The Watford game last week, you kind of I I sort of agree with what Gerard said in the press the pre match press conference for the game on the weekend that it. The actual performance, it wasn't as horrific as it's been made out to be. It wasn't great, but we were the better team against Watford. You couldn't say that that they weren't trying. It was just more of a lack of, qual- a lack of quality, I thought, in the final thirds against them. So, um, I, for me, I don't think that's ever really been something that I would accuse the players of lacking effort. I think there's... There are occasions in the last few weeks as well. There's been, definitely been a lack of quality, maybe a lack of confidence, especially after that Newcastle results. And you kind of think the Watford game as well. I mean, I saw several appreciate this as well, having uh, gone to games. That Villa Park can be it can be a, a, a difficult atmosphere to play in at times for the players. Uh, that, I get that fans can be frustrated, but I think sometimes the crowds are very quick to get on players' backs. And certain players like uh, Tyrone Mings has obviously has for a long time. Douglas Louise is recently getting it now. Like it, There seems to be a player that the fans kind of focus all the negativity on. You know, I've been guilty of it myself, getting frustrated at players, but it doesn't necessarily help, I don't think, especially when the team in general are struggling to, to target individuals and I don't think it's the wisest move. So that um, result and performance yesterday on the back of a, a difficult couple of weeks, it I think is a really encouraging thing to see because it, I know Brighton are on a bit of a dodgy run of form at the moment, but they're not an easy team to play against. And as I say, on the back of those two defeats, not even scoring against Newcastle and Watford, to go to Brighton and win 2-0 and win pretty comfortably 2-0 as well and reduce them to... It's not an awful lot, really. Um, I think that's something that can be really encouraging. And it's a good basis to build from again and, and get the season going rather than you know, sort of having the risk of it just petering out into nothing like last season sort of is. Yeah, for sure. And I think like the thing I kind of sit here and think about when you were talking is as well, we kind of... You look at the Newcastle result, you look at the Watford result as well, and you sit back and think, like, obviously, you'd want to win those and you expect it to win those. But also, people went into Brighton thinking, okay, like you said, they're not in the greatest form. But how easily do we somehow turn other teams' forms around because they beat us because we're not playing well? At the end of the day, you have to put a shift in to win a game in this league and in any league. And really, that's what was done. And I I think as much as... 
it's funny to kind of go into a Brighton game where I was never confident either time against Brighton. Of course, the first one under Steven Gerrard, his first game, we haven't conceded against them all season. Actually, I think it's the last three games we haven't conceded against them. Um, Ollie Watkins has scored in, I think, the last two. Um, so it's kind of put him on a little bit of form shortly after that. So hopefully we can recapture some of his form from last season as well. But it's just, for me, it's like the ebbs and flows of the season. It's not always going to be rosy at the end we're not going to be man city i know we want to play attractive football i know we want to win every week but look there's every single team in this league wants to win every week and unfortunately it just doesn't happen and now we have of course southampton next week which i'm marginally terrified for because i just don't know how to react against a team that's in that good form they defend very well they attack in spurts and can kind of nick a goal here and there when needed i i watched the norwich game on friday i didn't think they played that well but still came out with a pretty good win but again it's the ebbs and flows and we'll see what kind of momentum we go into uh next saturday but seb i'll throw this one back at you i mean it's fantastic to finally score a couple goals and to get that insurance marker through Watkins uh, later in the second half to kind of ease things for the last 20 minutes or so. But for me, it's just important to get a clean sheet, isn't it? Yeah. And that's probably, you know, seen with the <laughs> reincarnation, if you like, of Esri concert. I think we missed him dearly the last two games. You know, Chambers isn't a bad backup player to have, but when it's his first two games for the club coming in at a time where we really need to pick up points, it was never going to be easy for him. Um, the word I'd probably use for yesterday's result would be relief. I think there was relief all over the pitch, not only from a collective point of view to get off our winless run and to finally, you know, shut the critics up. You've got Ollie Watkins, who's who's come under a bit of criticism, who's clearly having a difficult time at the moment, got fans messaging him on social media and et cetera, et cetera. And it looked like when he scored that, it was relief on his face. He looked so overwhelmed to finally score a goal. Um, yeah, clean sheet, as you said, something that came almost naturally to us last season, which this season we've really, really struggled with. Um, I think keeping them out of the back of the net is something that has probably cost us on many occasions this season, but it was nice to almost have a comfortable back line on this occasion. I think that really helped us and, you know, probably helped us over the line to get the confidence for the three points. And lastly, just as a collective team, you know, to finally, finally put an end to that winless run, you know, that's going to do wonders for the confidence. I think Gerard mentioned that, He's tried a few different things in order to work things out. We saw Ings and Watkins start together this time, which is something that many people are convinced that isn't the best way forward. But Gerard said it himself. If you've got two goal scorers, you don't want to be, you know, giving an opportunity to one of them whilst the other one sits on the bench. You want to have your goal scorers on the pitch. So he got them in in the week told them that that's what he, he wanted to do and to see if it could work. And, in my opinion, there's obviously still improvements to be made, but it was nice to see us have a positive reaction with both of them on the pitch. I think they worked this time. There's obviously still, you know, and I've banged on about it so many times, the fact that Ings was at Southampton and he formed such a good partnership with Shea Adams, but that took time to come. I think his first season, Shea Adams got two goals maybe after coming from Birmingham. Whereas last season, he really hit the ground running and him and Ings just seemed to perfectly click. So it will come with time. We, there's Patience has got to be something that we hold um, at the moment. You know, these things are never going to work. We've had a big changeover at the club and I'm still very, very confident that they'll come good, but it just takes patience. Yeah, massively, of course. And I think as football fans, any football fans um, or sports fans in general, I feel like patience never is a thing. And one day maybe that'll happen, but regardless of that, yeah, it's, it, I mean, I don't really want to discuss the Watkins Ings debate for too long. Cause I think we've beaten that to like an oblivion and I don't even know what kind of goes past an oblivion to be honest, but it's definitely been beaten to there. But again, I, I feel like you kind of go into this game and you, you kind of saw 
I wouldn't say the best of Ollie Watkins by any means, but you did see spurts of him where he has an impact. And again, I, I feel like it's if they're playing together, it's either Watkins that has a better games than Ings or vice versa. You kind of sacrifice some of the benefits of one for the other. And as much as people might get on the back of Danny Ings after this game, which I think would be a little bit unjust because I really didn't see him on the ball. I thought there was a few instances of play where he was making direct runs and we just didn't play him through and kind of were passing it around at the back to just kind of hold on to possession, which I can understand in certain aspects. But um, again, he was tired or tireless, I should say, in regards to tracking back and keeping that shape. And he was really important in in regards to that. And I, I think that's kind of, maybe the issue that we've been seeing in the last few weeks is essentially kind of maintaining that shape. Of course, we see the likes of Matty Cash and Luca Dean sitting a little bit further back. I think on the heat map that a few social media accounts put out, they're much further back than um, compared to basically since Jared's really came in and we saw the benefits of that. And I think that's important to kind of note too. And maybe we can kind of move on to these two players in particular right now. And I'll throw it to, to Simon is Matty Cash and of course John McGinn. Matty Cash more so for a, a wonderful effort to open up the scoring. And I was thinking before this, you know, we just need a goal to go in off anybody. I don't care if it goes off of John McGinn's behind that giant behind of his and goes in the goal. It just it needs to go in. And to score that goal so wonderfully was one thing. But to have someone in the midfield when there's been so many question marks about where this midfield's going, does McGinn need to be taken out? Does Douglas Weiss need to be taken out? For McGinn to be the true engine again and kind of recapture some of that form, have some of that confidence. And you know when he's having confidence is when he's doing his little pivots and using that giant behind to his benefit. But in particular, Simon, how good is it to see the best of Matty Cash and John McGinn yesterday? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're two players that I really like, and I think I, mean, I think the majority of Villa fans really like them. They, they they seem like good lads as well as good players, and when you've got a fully confident John McGinn at the top of his game, it's it's one hell of an asset to have in your team, really. I mean, he, I, I think maybe from yesterday. A, a change was like you say with the fullbacks not bombing on as um, as frequently as as they have done in recent weeks means that you know John McGinn. I think the last few games he's sort of been you often see him basically in an almost right back position covering a lot and that that takes a lot out of his game. So if he's not having to concentrate on doing that for basically 90 minutes he's, he's allowed the freedom to sort of get about the park a bit more I think that's when you get the best out of John McGinn he's, he's, a, he's the type of player that I don't think you get any real benefit from sort of putting restrictions on his game I, I think he's, he's he's like an old school all action midfielder you, you want him tearing about the pitch and yeah like you say when he's a uh, when he's getting that ass of his house on the pitch and, <laughs> and blocking people off, that's when you know he's having fun. And for Matty Cash, yeah, really, really pleased for him to, to go and get that goal. I think he's obviously in this system been encouraged to get forward a lot more. And I think some t- I think it's an area of his game in terms of like the final delivery when he gets into that final third that, that does need working on. Um, I think... I think sometimes he just gets overexcited when he's that far forward to the ball and kind of panics a little bit at times and sort of rushes things. So it was nice to see that yesterday. The I mean, the, the goal is, is absolutely brilliant. The, the finish is great, but that first touch as well to set himself up and then, you know, that's how many times you see players, especially defensive players, find themselves in that position and the ball ends up you know, into Rosette. So to sort of calm himself down and keep his body over the ball and find that bottom corner. Yeah, really, really pleased for him. And um, yeah, hopefully that's that's something that going into, you know, the future weeks as the season goes on, you'll see more of that sort of performance. I kind of think with the system that we're playing, you, you're still going to be reliant on the fullbacks getting wide. I mean, for Cash's goal, that comes from both fullbacks are high up the pitch. You know, he's Dean, he's put the ball across. So, there is a time and place for that, which he needs in our system. But maybe don't. Maybe we can't be. I don't think our midfield is 
good enough yet to be so gung-ho with the four books like that. So he's sort of picking and choosing your time to do it. And he seems that seemed to be a, a lot more evident yesterday than than the previous two weeks. So that's that's another encouraging thing. And you, you'd assume that's something that's been worked on the training pitch as well. So yeah, very, very pleasing to see that. Well, that's the thing too. And I think a lot of people are kind of looking to Stephen Jarrett and his coaching staff wondering when are a few kind of changes and a little bit of tinkering going to go on here because of course you look at the last two results prior to this and it's been the same thing and it kind of feels like it's been figured out by other sides and not really working for the personnel that we currently have and then you go into this game and it's a slight tweaks that I kind of felt like it's how we started slowly under Gerard and it's kind of the happy medium. I think maybe this is the way it's, it's going to benefit us this season going forward until maybe he gets the personnel that he thinks that can really kind of kick that system on. But again, we'll have to wait and see and see if this is something we see for the next few games. But to quote our very own Tom Nightingale, I thought I had to throw this in here and I wanted to start the podcast with this quote, but people will probably think I'm on something because it makes absolutely no sense for the start of a podcast. The cheer, the sheer sheet. Wow, I'm already butchering this. The sheer cheek of Aston Villa to go to the Amex and pay in cash. And if you knew, if you know what I'm talking about, it's obviously Maddie Cash, and it's because the Amex, of course, went cashless. So it did very well on Twitter. So hopefully that that uh, joke does very well on here, even though I butchered it. So if you're looking for uh, comedy gigs or anything like that to fill your slots. Um, I'll, I'll get you Tom's uh, Twitter account here, a phone number, and uh, I'll send him your way. But anyways, that, that's that's one way to get out of that, and I feel really stupid for saying that joke now. But anyways, Seb, I'll, I'll throw this back to you because I, I think it's important to also kind of look at not so much the likes of how... I wouldn't say Felipe Coutinho has been relatively quiet the last couple games but I find in in the midfield and how he's playing now I kind of felt like yesterday it was a 4-3-3 with him further out on the left that kind of went into a diamond at times when we're trying to play through the middle what did you make of his game in particular yesterday because I feel like some Villa fans expect him to get on the score sheet or an an assist every game. And to be fair, he had one hell of a free kick that was saved fantastically by Robert Sanchez. I think a lot of do has to go to the Brighton goalkeeper for even getting a finger to that. What did you make of his performance yesterday? It's always difficult when a a new player comes in and he hits the ground running as quickly as Philippe Coutinho did. Um, Again, it's difficult not to, not to hike your expectations when, when someone comes in and scores, I think it was three goals in three games or or whatever it was. But um, yeah, look, he's he's a very good player and he's an, a world-class option to have. But I think over the last few weeks, he's been left frustrated, not for the want of trying, but he's, he's un, been unable to find the passages of play and being able to cut open the defence. I mean, look, he should have been on the score sheet yesterday. It was a brilliant free kick and an even better save from Robert Sanchez, like you said. But, you know, it's coming. It, it will tick over and eventually it will it will tick into place for him. You know, when, when Villa are on song, I think Coutinho will be the driving force of that. But when Villa are going through a tough patch like we have the last few weeks, then... I think it would be easy. It would be easy to say, you know, we've got Philip Coutinho. Why is why is he not doing more? I think fans could often expect more from Coutinho just because of the stature of player that he is. So, you know, I think he's been solid the last few weeks. Most of our attacks went through him, especially Newcastle. I was there. You know, he was trying to make things work, and it just, it, like I said, it just wasn't clicking for him. So. You know, he's a good player, he's a good option to have, and he's a solid, he's been a solid option for us ever since he's come in. Yeah, massively. And Simon, I'll, I'll come back to you. I mean, I, I think it's fair to pay our dues to Tyrone Mings because I know people of this parish at times can be fairly harsh on them. Um, not throwing Danny Raza under the bus, but I'm, I'm doing so now. Um, so Danny, if you're listening to this, I am sorry. Um, but you go from frustrating performances at times and then people kind of wanting him out of, the, out of the side. And then we obviously see him out of the side and then think, well, he's so much better when we're in it, obviously. I mean, to set up that assist from, to kind of break down the play just from 
and Emmy Martinez after throwing the ball to him being under a decent amount of pressure to kind of get it up the pitch. I think a lot of people thought it was just kind of hoofing it. Maybe it was and end up being better than it was. So maybe it wasn't even meant for an assist, but I mean, to kind of even make that effort to kind of get Ollie Watkins on the run there and identify that, I think we have to kind of pay due there. And I think it's important, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, sort of having looked back at it a couple of times now, I, I think it's a brilliant pass. I, I, I think it's, it would be incredibly unfair and cruel to say that's just a hoof down the pitch. He's because he's he's not like he's got the ball and just like launched it immediately. He's taken his time and looked up and and seen the run. So fair play to that. But yeah, I mean, Mings he's just he's one of those people that I, I don't know. I think uh, there's just a portion of the fan base that that just find it very very easy to, to criticise him. Um, at times unjustly so. And don't get me wrong, there, there's been poor performances. I mean, the Leeds game, for example, I think he I think he was at fault for all three goals, to be honest. So when stuff like that happens, you know, no player's immune from criticism, but yeah, it, it does. Uh, it's the, it's the problem with Twitter is there's just no real like nuance on there. You've, I mean, this isn't news to anyone here, but you, it seems like you've even got to be 100% behind someone and love them or you 100% hate them. Whereas, you know, there's room for middle ground. You know, he's, a, he's a good player who will occasionally make mistakes, but he's not the only one. I mean, Konza, you know, last couple of months, I don't think has been as good as he can be, but he would seem to be immune from criticism. And there's no doubt, like you said, there's like the stats show that we're, a better team with Tyro Mings in it. Now, I'm not saying that in the future going forward that he's someone that you would say has to be in there. I think if you're if you were to look at that first choice back four now of Cash, Mings, Dean, and uh, Konza, you'd say that Mings is probably the next one that that you would upgrade in that. That uh, I don't know. Depending on where you want to go, if you want to know if you want to get into Europe, then no, maybe he wouldn't be an automatic starter, but you'd still have him in the squad. And yeah, it's just, uh, I think Villa Twitter, there, there were some people who were probably furious yesterday that a means long pass through to Ollie Watkins led to a goal. It's, uh, I, think, I think that would have infuriated some people. Oh, I mean, if, if you don't piss off somebody in the Villa fan base for doing something positive, then are you actually in the right channels of the Villa fan base. But uh, Seb, did you have something you wanted to say? I mean, I <laughs> I think I've seen Tyro Mings try that ball most games, to be honest, three or four times a game. So I think he meant it. You know, I think it's a clever, it's a clever pass and it's one that he does frequently, but he can never quite seem to find the run or it's normally headed away. But for it to finally come off for him, I was delighted. Because I think, I think he's meant that, and I think he's meant to do that for quite a while. I think it's a tactic that Gerard's tried to implement, and you know, finally, finally, we've seen it come off. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think if you look at that assist, you look at the cash goal, you, you look at Ollie Watkins. I think these are players that I wouldn't say, well, probably Ollie Watkins more so than the others, but they're probably not in maybe the greatest confidence or spirits as of late, and I think what this does to all three of them, at least temporarily, I think it just kind of keeps the good vibes going for a little bit longer. I mean, again, who knows what happens against Southampton? Maybe we get walked off the park. I don't know. (laughs) Who knows? If I could forecast, I would bet for the rest of the season. I wouldn't be here. I'd be a billionaire because I know the results of every football game. Um, If anyone knows that or wants to give me any tips, by the way, I'm always up for making some money too. So gamble responsibly. But anyways, I I think when you're kind of sitting there looking at the overall aspect of this game, you kind of sit there and think, you know what? It wasn't pretty, but again, it's a result. And I think that's the most important thing. I think we kind of blur the lines sometimes between um, attractive football and sometimes what maybe gets a result at times. Sometimes you can't have both. Sometimes you can. And I think it was, um, I don't know if it was Danny or Tom. There's a few of us in our uh, podcast group chat yesterday chatting about, actually, I think it was Danny because Danny would bring something up like this about how uh, Brighton had so much possession, but they really didn't do much with it. And again, it's trying to play attractive football 
and you're trying to play in kind of out of a poor run of form with that and not really changing it. And maybe, you know what, maybe you throw that in kind of compare it. I mean, it's maybe not so comparable with leads in terms of Bielsa before he got sacked, refusing to kind of switch out of his own methodology, kind of tweaking a few things, unlucky with some injuries. So maybe that's not the greatest example, but again, it's kind of just slightly adjusting the system to tweak a few things on the Villa aspect that really worked. And to be honest, I think if we went in with the same setup as we did against Newcastle and Wofford, even with Brighton in poor form, I think we probably would have saw another loss here. But again, it's, I don't know what kind of um, morale boosting exercises and kind of um, collaborative things that the players did over the last week. Because I think Gerard said they kind of, had a few more bonding things to kind of get motivation a little bit higher and cohesiveness a little bit better. Um, But you know what, if that's what did it, then keep that shit up every week because we need that massively. And I I think that's what, I don't want to say it disconnects the fan base from the players, but I feel like the more success that we expect, and it's kind of been like this through from the championship till now, I felt like in that whole run, probably spirits were at all time high. We kind of felt like, you know what, we're really in this. We have owners that care. They're connected with the fans. These players are playing for the fans. We got a little bit of that at the start of our um, return to the Premier League, of course, and then more so near the end. It returned a little bit last season, then went a little bit sour. And I feel like with so much expectation this season and having it changed and we're putting it on next season, I know I'm going on and on about 10 different things, but again, that's me. Welcome to the whole cast. Cause it's been this way for years. I think it's just, it's important to kind of sit back and almost just appreciate the small moments is what I'm trying to get at. Maybe I should have just said that after my five minute rant, but I think that's very, very important, but um I think we also need to give a little uh, special shout out to um, I'm going to butcher his name. So if one of you guys want to um, (laughs) save my life from this, of course, making his first uh, start for the Villa first team, uh, Timothy Irabunum. I hope I didn't butcher that. So if you guys could nod correctly as I'm talking, I'd very much appreciate that. Okay. I did say it right. So there we go. So pat on the back to me. Um, Seb, I'll throw it back your way again. I think, you know what, we have seen this a lot in the last couple of seasons with the likes of Jacob Ramsey, of course, breaking through. And we saw a few a few others, of course, Carney and Chukameka, uh, Jaden Philogene Bidace, um, kind of come through. And you know what, it's another one that's kind of coming through. We're very proud to see it. But uh, in his brief little, what was it, five, ten minute cameo that he came on for, what did you make of his passage of play? I'm just going to settle for Tim. I'm going to call him Tim throughout <laughs> this. Just, I should have just done that. Just to make my job a little bit easier. But um, I think he's been he's been crying out to come onto the pitch for a while now, but because of our poor performances, he hasn't been given the opportunity. Um, since Gerard came in, he's he's spoken very highly of the midfielder. And, you know, I won't be the first person to say that that's a position that we're certainly weak in at the moment. So to see him make his day, to see anyone make their debut, you know, for Aston Villa is always is always a nice moment. And if it's someone that comes through the academy, that always makes it that little bit sweeter. Um, talking on his performance, you know, he looked really calm and assured to me. You know, on the ball, he he was taking touches, he was finding the right pass, he wasn't scared to turn. You know, on possession, he looked he looked almost a natural at times. So, you know, it'd be nice to see more, more minutes from him moving forward, but you know, whether, whether our Academy team's watching Philogene Bidace, Chuck Wameka, Irobenham, if we could start bringing some Phil's or some John's through, that would, that would make our lives a lot easier. Yeah. Just, just, a, just, a, just a little bit, but Simon, I'll throw this your way. I'm just going to call him Big Tim because he is a, he is quite a, a tall fella and has a structure to be called Big Tim. Um, so when you kind of, of course, like it's a brief cameo, but I think the two things that you'd probably say and maybe would agree on one, I think it was important that we brought him on after the second goal. It kind of gives him a little bit more comfort. He's not under pressure to really perform and to maintain something. It allows him a bit of freedom. So that's the one thing I'm hoping you agree with that. But the the real thing that 
you know it's going to feed and we know we're going to see it. And I don't like throwing people under the bus or maybe the whole Villa Twitter community, which of course we're all a part of, you know, there's going to be a lot of people, even with a brief cameo that really didn't mean a, a total much to the whole match in terms of the outcome really. But you know, there's going to be people in there sitting. Okay. You know what? He's the future right now. Play him <laughs> now by Douglas Louise. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, you can't be doing that at the moment because it's it's just there's there's no need to put that that pressure on on the young player like that. I mean, I think yeah, you're right. It was the right thing to to wait until the second had gone in to, to bring him on there because I mean, let's be honest. It, I think Gerard said in one of the interviews that he brought him on to help see out the game. I, I'm fairly sure we just seen out the game anyway, but it's. It's nice then that that he's not having that pressure and he can sort of go on and, and you, you're not having to go and, and be outstanding. You can just relax and just play your natural game and, and you know, feel a bit of freedom on there. There's no way that he's, he's going to be starting next weekend on the back of a five-minute cameo against a fairly toothless Brighton attack. So, But what it, what it has done now is it'll, it'll, that five minutes it would have just given him that little taste of first team football. And, you know, if if he can then get, say, 10 or 15 minutes in his next substitute appearance and 20 minutes and then slowly build your way up and, and sort of get used to Premier League football because the step up from under 23 to the Premier League, it, it, no, it's, it's ridiculous, really. So, so you, you, there's no needs. We're not in a position where we we absolutely have to make that decision to, to be starting an 18-year-old kid in the centre midfield. You know, we, we're fairly comfortable in, in mid-table. So maybe maybe as the season goes on, when you're into the last sort of four or five games, if and we're, you know, we're not going to finish anywhere between, say, other than, say, 10th to 13th, and you know that you're going to be stuck there, then maybe that's the time. You know, I think... We did it at the back end of last season. Uh, we brought Chukwemeka's finishing bidet on against Spurs away, and then and Chukwemeka got a longer substitute appearance against Chelsea in the last game. So I think that's that's when you can sort of experiment a bit more. But for the time being, you know, the fact he's in every match day squad, pretty much I think since Gerard's come in, should give him confidence enough, and you know, just slowly build him up because. You know, there's how many times have you seen like um an eight, 17, 18, 19 year old kids come on, make a you know a couple of appearances and look really good, but then they fade away to nothing. And that's not trying to like you know dampen or put any negativity on it, but it's you I think there's a there's a tendency to sometimes get carried away with youngsters and there's there's no need to be putting that extra pressure on them, just sort of let them slowly find their way into it. I mean, you look at what we did with Jacob Ramsey last season. I mean, he he kind of was was in and out here or there, which I think probably ultimately has, has helped in his developments to being so good this season because he's not been put under that pressure. He can just sort of come in and out and just sort of grow at, at a natural pace. Yeah, and I mean, it's important too. And I always think back when people kind of want to rush um, youngsters into the Villa first team. I always think of the relegation season. I, I mean, when don't I? Um, at times, I think it scarred me that badly. Um, but I always think of the likes of like Jordan Lydon when pe- people wanted him to be brought in, kind of thought, you know what, just play the kids. Well, we did bring in a few kids, and I'm pretty sure it wrecked their future. Maybe they were never meant for this level, but I think Jordan Lydon's, in a, Lydon's at what? Is he at Swindon now? in League Two or something like that. I can't remember. I saw it the other day. But regardless, I think the first few of those youngsters that kind of featured in that season, of course, aside from you-know-who, yeah, I don't think they're really playing at a high standard these days or it's kind of very low uh, professional. But anyways, um, yeah, we've learned from those mistakes. So let's not go back. And of course, patience is key if you want long-term success, in my opinion. But anyways, in terms of that, let's go to the three word reviews. Of course, we do these via Twitter post-match at 7500 to Holt is the account to tweet. Um, usually goes probably out about 15, 20 or so minutes post-match and you can have your say with your three word review or reviews because some people do a few of them 
But anyways, I'm just going to read through a few of these now and give a few people a little bit of shout out because I thought some of them were pretty entertaining. So we'll start with Colin Frederick saying better. Let's build Simon Palmer. Watkins finally back. Hella Brady. We won. Whoa. Michael Rudd. Stay strong, bro. Of course, referencing uh, Matty Cass's shirt, of course, in support of his Polish teammate playing for, I think it's Dynamo Kiev, I believe it was, um, or is, I should say. Um, Ed saying, thank fucking God. Um, yeah, I said that basically at my TV right after the game. Um, 7,500 Holtz own Liam Davies saying, few, few, few. Uh, Trevor Hood, exhale now, villains. Uh, Jared Lamprey, that's our McGinn. Uh, RH Louise needs dropping. Sam says two brilliant goals. Uh, bon Banu, I hope I <laughs> pronounced that right. Apologies if you're hearing this. Uh, why is Louise? And we'll do two more here. Uh, Les White, worst referee ever, which I want to get to here actually in a moment before we get on to our uh, players of the match, match balls. Um, and we'll finish with uh, Matthew Shaw, important, ugly win. And I think that's probably the best way to summarize that one. But Seb, I'll throw this your way. I mean, what were your thoughts on the refereeing performance yesterday? I don't like usually throwing referees under the bus too much, but I mean, I think we had what, five, was it four or five yellows? And they had maybe one less. I can't remember, but there was just no control that game yesterday was there from a refereeing standpoint. Yeah, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna be careful about what I say, but like you said, he he didn't have much control. And I think, there's probably a good reason as to why that's one of his few Premier League games that he's refereed. You know, I, I think that's his third game at this level and hopefully he doesn't have too many more because it was a really poor performance. And that's the state of English football at the moment. I've, I've said it once, I've said it twice, I'll say it a thousand times. The standard of officiating in this division, in this country is an absolute joke. I think the Everton one is a prime example. How that's a handball, I'll never know. And they're in a relegation battle and City are in a title battle. It could define seasons and it wouldn't surprise me if in 20, 25 years, we come out to many, many refereeing scandals in the past and they all get uncovered as referees retire and move on. But at the moment, something has to be done. Frank Lampard said it yesterday. You know, I, I've wanted them to be interviewed after matches for years now. I think they should be able to talk for their for their actions. Even if we hear them talk while they make a VAR decision, I think if there's so much detail going into each decision, then us as fans should be able to listen to the steps in which they're taking to come to each decision because, you know, it might uncover some home truths or it might help us as fans understand how they've come to each decision. So we just need better communication between the fans, the players, the coaches and the referees, because at the moment it is an absolute shambles. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I kind of think back to that, of course, Man City Everton game yesterday. And then you think of, how that's not a handball. And then you think, of course, standards in terms of what is and what isn't changed since then. But I always think of that one that was called on Tyrone Mings when it went off literally like the literally point of his top of his shoulder um, and how that the difference is, I mean, just the mentality of how everything's not necessarily changed, but how everything's determined. It just seems like there's new things made. And I, it, you know what? Maybe there isn't an actual uh, top six bias or whatever but you're not helping the case with people believing that when you you do stupid things like that and unfortunately it's just another example that goes into the book yesterday with a completely different non-villa related game but of course we've had ours and again i'm gonna bring it up for the millionth time i always think of that henry lansbury goal that was somehow chalked off because they just probably didn't want to actually officiate anymore um yeah i'm still pissed off about that but anyways um hope henry's doing well but simon i'll come to you with this because i mean seb touched on it very well and it's and we've seen 
different people and media personalities kind of say, well, why aren't referees being interviewed or being able to at least put out a statement to kind of give some kind of explanation to why you're now seeing media outlets have ex referees come on to explain it for them. And they kind of beat around it too with, you can tell like the, the man city Everton one yesterday. And I can't remember who the ref ex referee was. You could tell he didn't agree with it, but he had to give some bull crap kind of, kind of put together answer it sounded like someone else gave them to be honest why do you think there's such a even with ex-referees why do you think there's and i know this is going out the point of this whole podcast <laughs> but it's kind of the point of the crap ref- uh, refereeing yesterday in general why do you think there's this almost like this safeguard around referees still like we know they're humans they they can speak they can provide their own home truths do you not think if they could actually say, you know what, this is why it's given, it would, yeah, it's going to give a little bit of debate, but surely it's also going to cut, cut the debate a lot shorter if there's an official answer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've for years never understood why they don't allow them to to come out and, and explain certain decisions. And, you know, it's, there might be occasions that, I mean, they, well, you, they should, this shouldn't happen now that they have VAR, but you would get, you could get in a case where a referee would come out and say, oh, do you know what, i I made the mistake, and I think, I think people would would be a lot more forgiving then because you'd have a lot more respect for someone to come out and go. Do you know what? I, having looked back at it now, I apologise. I made the error here. In terms of the point on why ex referees are still would still back them up, I have I have no answer for that. I mean, I don't know. Over here on BT Sport, they have Peter Walton, and honestly. It's a waste of time having him on. I don't think I've ever seen him once disagree with an on-field referee's decision. And, I mean, some of them are, are just, like, scandalous. <laughs> and you think, well, how how can you... What what are you gaining from trying to stick up for them when you're not a referee anymore? Like, I don't know. It, it's, it is it's so frustrating because I agree with Seb. I think the, the standard of refereeing... Is is shocking in, in this country. Like it, it is so bad, and I, I there's no doubt in my mind that there is a, a top six bias. Now it could be an unconscious bias. I don't think they're necessarily deliberately doing it. I, I don't know, but they, there's certain decisions that that you see in games that you know full well if that the other end of the pitch you're not getting them. Like for that handball yesterday. I'm convinced if that's at the other end of the pitch, Man City get a penalty for that. I, I, I just, I completely am. When you think when we played City the other week, uh, or just before Christmas, um, I'm pretty sure it was Ezri Konza just got completely taken out by Nathan Ake. And there was hardly anything made of it. And that's another one. If that's at the other end, it's being given. And yeah, the, the referees, and there's there's a lot of work that, that, that needs to be done. But there's a lot of things that they, simple things they could do that would really help themselves. Like the point you're making about not necessarily, I'm not saying you have to interview them after every game, they have to justify every big decision. But when there's such a big one like that, like that example yesterday in the Everton Man City game, just either have the communication that's going on between the refs and the VAR, have that broadcast or at least, you know, have the recordings available people to hear so like you said they'd at least get an understanding even if they may not necessarily agree with the final decision if they could at least hear the reasoning for it mate that I think that would go a long way to helping and yeah if you have referees sort of come out as I said not after every game necessarily or every decision but you know just explain why they've come to some of the conclusions and you know even if as I said earlier if they may if they made the mistake and come out and say look you know, I apologise, I got that one wrong. I think you'd be given a lot more, they get a lot more slack and credit from people then because it it would help to sort of humanise them, like you said. Like, I mean, they, they are human beings, but th- there's a lot more they could do to help themselves, definitely. Yeah, and I think I think for uh, Canada, for the DAZN coverage that I get, I think most of the time they go to ex-referee Dermot Gallagher. I think that's who I was thinking of. And he, you could just tell, and there's been so many instances every week where they ask him something. And he's, of course, I think he's like in his mid sixties probably now. And he's sitting there and he 
I'm not saying he looks frail, but you can just tell how nervous he looks when they ask him certain questions. And he just, you know, he almost wants to speak some truths and he just pulls back. I don't know if that kind of goes back to some kind of hidden referees code to protect your fellow kind of colleague or something like that, maybe. But I've got a feeling Dermot Gallagher is involved in somewhere within the refereeing community Could whether be. i don't know i don't know if he's like uh i think most of them are still to some yeah kind of, he's yeah i think he's definitely still part of the pg well i think it is so yeah there's no way that they're going to come out and and criticize current referees are they yeah which is even more stupid for why are you having them on than if they can't actually give you the the proper narrative but uh, famous peter walton peter yeah. walton does an even worse job you know going to peter walton is one of the most stupid things I've ever seen and heard in my entire life, because you know exactly how it's going to go. You know exactly that he's going to back whatever decision the referee made. I'm not being funny, but there could be a decision where the referee has picked up the ball in the middle of a counter-attack, booted it out of the pitch. They'd go to Peter Walton and he'd say, well, you know, if that's what he thought was best, then, you know, I'm going to back him with that. Peter, get him off BT Sport. He does absolutely nothing. He doesn't help at all. It's just, it, oh, it's all, honestly, I could go on all day. Yeah, I mean, going to certain figures like that for an explanation is like us trying to track down Tony Gia and kind of get more of an explanation of what actually went on um, and actually wondering if you'll actually get the the real truth um, more than uh, Keith Wynas actually puts out there. Who knows who's actually true on that? But maybe it'll come out in a book one day and I'll definitely buy it. But um Anyways, guys, let's go on to our match balls now. So, Simon, I'll throw this your way. Who would you give your match ball slash man of the match to? Um, I'll go. I'll go Ollie Watkins just for you know, sort of getting that monkey off his back of not scoring for a while. And it really, I, I mean, we haven't really actually talked enough about the quality of that finish. <laughs> that was a really, really well taken goal for someone who's out of form to, to take that on like that. Was impressive. Um, you could sort of see how much it meant to him. So yeah, just to, to for, for getting us over the line and for him sort of getting back on the goal scoring track, I'll, I'll go Ollie Watkins. Fair enough. Yeah, and I was saying to these guys before recording the whole time he was on his little break, I was thinking, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. And to be fair, it was a really tidy finish. And again, that'll do a lot for his confidence. But Seb, I'll come to you. Who is your uh, match ball going to? I think we've been crying out for a clean sheet in recent weeks and he's come under a lot of stick for his end product recently. So to get a goal, to put us on our way and then get a clean sheet as well. And I I thought it was stupid at the time, but receiving a yellow card so early on when he's, you know, he's a player that likes to play on the edge to be able to conserve himself for the rest of the game. I think that takes some doing. So I'll go Matty Cash on this one. Fair enough. I'm going to double that vote. Um, I gave him the man of the match on my player ratings on the 7500 Holt website. So if you're still in a reflective mood, of course, go check that out. But um, yeah, I mean, one hell of a performance, to be honest, and one I feel like we've been kind of missing for a long time. And it wasn't even more so just the goal. It was how well he defended, how well he tracked back. He kept uh, Villa in its shape on his side of the pitch. And I, I thought the way he played was very instrumental in how successful we were not only defending but getting forward and it wasn't more so when you looked at kind of the balls he was playing in an attacking standpoint aside from the goal which to be fair he could have had a second but that went fairly wide I guess you could say being a little bit kind but um, it, it was just the simple moves and the simple passes he was making he wasn't trying to do anything too difficult in terms of putting in silly crosses where to be honest we know we don't benefit from crosses in this side i don't can't remember the last time we benefited from crosses maybe when we had benteke or something like that to be honest or kaja or something like that in the championship days but um no i'd have to give it to maddie cash as well but moving quickly to the Southampton game of course it's next Saturday um, I want to mention that kind of briefly but before we do actually our good friends at Acorns Children's Hospice actually reached out to us um, I think it was on Friday and sent us a nice little email just checking in to see how we were doing of course uh, big supporters of them 
Um, we are here on the Holtz cast. So they just kind of wanted to mention and spread the message that on March 5th, of course, for the Southampton game, they're doing an Acorns match day takeover. They'll be collecting outside the ground and running a tombola in the family zone. Um, they'll also be showing a short video during halftime to help raise awareness of their work and um, hopefully to raise more funds to help them continue their great work in the local community for children, of course, that are struggling with certain health conditions and all that um, difficult stuff that definitely no uh, parent wants to be going through. So, of course, we did our little fundraising bit for them. So I just wanted to mention that as well, because anything important coming their way, of course, will be shared through our platform, too. Um, And if you see any tweets and stuff like that from them, we'll share them around as well to hopefully help spread the word. But I just want wanted to mention that before we moved on quickly to Southampton. So Simon, I'll throw this your way. How are you feeling about this one? Of course, we've kind of touched on it, but I mean, they're in good form. We're back on a win. So how do you see this one going? Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one to read really. Cause like you said, they're, 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 they're playing really well at the moment, but they're, they're really odd team Southampton in that they can, They'll go sort of seven, eight games picking up really good results and then they can go and lose sort of four or five in a row as well. It's difficult to, to know what, what's coming for them. The the only thing I'll say is that I'm I'm not able to go to the game next week. Uh, I'm, I'm off uh, on holiday. So you know that it will be uh, Southampton's annual 9-0 defeat because <laughs> I won't be there. So, I mean, I'd take that to be honest. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, they are due one. And to be honest, that would really benefit us in terms of goal differential and uh, a lot of confidence, definitely. Um, I, I'm just kind of looking at the results now. And honestly, I don't think they've lost um, any game, whether it be FA Cup or league, since I think January 15th against Wolves, they lost 3-1. But aside that, from that, they've got a one-all draw against City, beat Coventry 2-1 in the FA Cup, beat Spurs 3-2, drew against United, beat Everton 2-0, um, and of course beat Norwich as well, 2-0 as well. So they're not scoring a crazy amount of goals, but I mean, their system's very fluid, and we kind of saw the rumors with Ralph Hasenhutl being linked with the Villa job, of course, after Dean Smith left and all that kind of stuff. And it does make you wonder how his kind of um, setup would have worked at Villa. But uh, regardless of that, Seb, how are you feeling about this one? It's always difficult going up against a team that are in such good form. Um, had we lost against Brighton, I'd have been very, very worried. But it's difficult because I was at the reverse fixture earlier on in the season where we just couldn't break them down. We conceded early on and we just couldn't break them down. And hopefully that won't happen again. Now that we're at home, we'll be able to push on, create some more chances against them. And will actually be able to to test their keeper because I think if you can get in behind their defence, then you can cause them trouble. Obviously, they have two young, inexperienced fullbacks and I, I don't have much confidence in their centre-backs at all. It's just, it's getting past their midfield of, excuse me, Romeo and Ward-Prowse. I think that will be the difficulty. And then, you know, obviously, if we can keep our, our good defensive shape again with concert having his second consecutive game, then, you know, there's a positive result there that can be had. It's just about which Villa decides to turn up. And hopefully now that Simon's not there, it will be it will be the good Villa and we'll we'll hopefully win. Well, you know what, to, to um, kind of. I wouldn't say quote Seb, but I, I'm surprised he hasn't made fun of Simon because usually when these guys are together, he likes to make fun of his baldness. I already have today for some reason. So Simon, if we ever do meet in person, don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> I, I might be 27, but I feel like my back's like 57. So I'm very fragile in that instance. But um, you know what? If, if, if the light shines in the right way, that risk of potentially blinding one of the Villa players from scoring at the end that you might have been in. I think we might benefit from that. So, um, but anyways, I, I just wanted to send that one out there. So please don't hurt me. Your, your, your head is not shiny. It's wonderful. Trust me. I, I, I would polish it myself if I was there, but anyways, um, I, I think that's probably a good way to end it. Um, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. It's, it's one way to end it. I don't, I don't know if I'd say good way, but it's a way. Wow. It's a way to that... end it. <laughs> well, that, wow. 
<laughs> uh, I mean, so you you think about Tom in the shower and you want to polish my head. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> but one day I'm hoping we can do a uh, a whole cast kind of live eventually if we can get all no. of us oh, over. No. Uh, Simon, you're going to have to explain that. You you can't just say that and not, that wasn't on recording, so no one will know what you're on about. No, I, what what people get up to in the privacy of their own homes. You fully thrown him under the bus. <laughs> God, it's no, all right. Cole, he Cole, controls Cole, the edit. He'll edit it out. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. There's no way. There's no way any of this is making it, is it? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll, it, it depends how I feel like when I get to the hour mark of actually editing this. But uh, maybe I'll leave that in. So if Tom, you're listening, what's up, buddy? Um, but anyways, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyways, I, I just want to give one special shout out to the um, the Leaky Blinders. Um, of course, if you saw that tweet, um, hope you're doing well, guys. Um, Great job on promoting the Peaky Blinders. I love that show. But um, yeah, shout out to uh, Huddersfield Town for the best tweet of the weekend. But uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. If we don't give uh, the the other side of Birmingham a little bit of abuse, then it's no fun these days. But yeah, we'll leave it there. And don't forget, up the villa. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.